BT Church, good morning. How's everybody doing today? I want to thank you for making a decision to be here with us at church. Uh, I want to extend a happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room and watching online. Y'all make some noise. I also am a dad of a 10-month-year-old, and I realize now that every day is Mother's Day, amen, uh, for the sacrifice that you guys do. Uh, it's an incredible and it's a huge blessing. I uh, also want to welcome uh, any VIPs in the room. If this is your first time, thank you so much for joining us today uh, or watching online VIPs. Yeah, make some noise. Thank you. Uh, and so if, you're, if this is your first time, uh, so glad you made a decision to come here. But we also want to connect with you, so do us a huge favor. Uh, grab your phone, text BTVIP to 97000. Uh, so that we can answer any questions you might have about our church or plug into what God is doing here because he's doing a lot of great stuff. And speaking of that, uh, a culture that we have here at BT is that we are a celebrating culture. We love to celebrate what God is doing, not because of anything special that, that we are, but also uh, it's just about the fact that we serve an amazing special God and he's working mightily. So y'all help me celebrate that 168 people so far this year have said yes to Jesus, have received salvation uh, through the ministries of BT Church. And of those 168, 108 have taken their next step through baptism uh, and just gone through the waters of baptism and want to publicly declare that they are choosing to follow Jesus. So amazing work. Uh, we believe that God's not done yet. We are believing that maybe that's going to happen during this service as well. Uh, so praying uh, for, for just God to continue that move and excited that we get to see this and we get to be a part of this. So uh, really cool stuff. Uh, my name my name is Danny. I get to serve here as the online and young adults pastor. Uh, excited to bring the word today. If you have a Bible, open up to Jonah chapter 1. The book of Jonah chapter 1, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one uh, in, the, in the bottom of your seat or pull out your phone, download the Bible app. That's the best app you will ever have. Amen. So we're going to be in Jonah but before we get into God's word, uh, I just want to read this story really quick to kind of uh, set up the scene for where we're going to go today as we talk about the story of Jonah. If you've been a part of church for a long time, you've heard the story of Jonah maybe a million times. Uh, maybe you've never heard the story. Uh, I believe God's going to work mightily over the next couple of weeks uh, as we break down the book of Jonah. So here's a story that I want to share with you. In 2004, there was a Dutch filmmaker named Theo van Gogh who was killed by a Muslim radical. In the aftermath of his death, both churches and mosques in the Netherlands experienced retaliatory attacks, including the bombing of an Islamic school. The outpouring of violent rage shook a Dutch nation that had prided itself on being peaceful and an open society. At this incendiary moment, a Dutch Protestant minister, Reverend Keith Sobrandi, did something radical. Reverend Sombrani was a very conservative, traditional Dutchman who lived in a community where Middle Eastern immigrants uh, had brought much poverty and crime. Yet that week, Reverend Sombrani walked to his neighborhood mosque. He knocked firmly on the door, and to the shock of the Muslims huddled inside, he announced that he would stand guard outside the mosque every night until the attacks ceased. In the days and weeks that followed, the minister called on the other churches in the area, and they joined him, circling and guarding the mosque together throughout the region for more than three months. Why would Sobrandi have done such a thing, one interview and reporter asked him, because they recounted no stories of past friendships or dialogues with Muslims. He simply replied, Jesus. Jesus commanded me to love my neighbor and even my enemy as well. The story of Jonah is a story that talks about a great God who has a great love that pursues relentlessly his people and even also a pursuit of sinful people. Jonah shows us the love of God that often doesn't make any sense. And the story of Jonah shows us that nobody is beyond the reach of God's great love and his great grace towards them. And so a theme that we focused on here in the past, if you ever uh, heard me uh, preach here or, or maybe you've heard this from other pastors, we say this a lot to our young adults, is this, is that our generation is our responsibility. 
meaning this, that we have been called as believers of Jesus to such a time as this. That when you think about the chaos going on in our culture, when you think about everything that's taking place in the world around us, that God said, I want you, believer of Jesus, to be a representation of me to those people right around you, right? That our generation is our responsibility, so we're the ones called to bring Jesus to the world around us, right? That's our job. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the topic of obedience, right? It's kind of like a churchy word. But what does it mean to be obedient to what God's calling us to do? What happens when we're not obedient to what God is calling us to do, right? Uh, Why do we have to practice obedience? And one thing I love about the story of Jonah is that we get to learn from somebody's mistakes, right? Like, it's always cool to, like, like learn from somebody's failures. You're like, oh, man, that guy failed, but now I can learn by not failing because I just do opposite of what he did, right? That's what we get to do with Jonah. And so when God calls us to do something, our response in that moment matters. And so let me say it this way. Our response to God, what God is calling us to do, affects our relationship with God, right? So our response to God affects our relationship with God, but it also affects our relationship with the people around us. We're going to kind of unpack all that today. So when God calls us to do something, our response in that uh, moment matters. And if you know the story of Jonah, you know how he struggled to obey the command, the word that God had brought to him, that he didn't want to do it. And we're going to read that chapter here in a second. But also what I want to say is this. If you know the story of Jonah... You know, there's kind of like a wild moment in there that, you, that kind of causes us to pause and think, like, did that really happen? Right? You know what I'm talking about? That Jonah got swallowed up by a gigantic fish, right? And you're like, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's not real, right? Like, there's no way that happened, right? And, and what I want to just kind of, like, give us just, like, a little bit of a warning is this, is let's not get caught up in that moment and, and allow that to cause us to think that this story really didn't happen. Right? Because we believe here is that Jonah was an actual historical figure, not allegorical, not metaphorical, but this really happened in history. Right? But there's like crazy moments in the Bible that causes us to pause and think, like, yeah, like how did that really happen? Like, are you telling me there's like a bush that's on fire that didn't burn down to the ground? Like, that really happened? Right? You're telling me that the Red Sea was literally dry and they got to walk across and like didn't get all muddy and stuff, and there's like walls of water on each side, right? Like, like, did that really happen? And maybe we get caught up by those moments. I love what Pastor Tim Keller, he says this. If you accept the existence of God, the fact that God actually exists, and you accept the reality of the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus actually rose from the dead, which he also describes as a far greater miracle than, the, than this giant fish swallowing Jonah, then here's the reality. There's nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah literally, Right? So, like, if we struggle with the giant fish, which I get it, like, it's weird, right? I mean, whoever's preaching next Sunday, like, they get to break that down for you. But here's this. If we struggle with that, but we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then that affects the way we view our entire reading of the word of God, right? We just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus for, like, the past six weeks where we celebrated Jesus on Easter Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection, and then we took four weeks to break down the fact that because he lives, we then live a certain way that if we believe in the reality of the resurrection, it should cause us to live differently, right? So let's not get caught up by that because the reality is the story of Jonah is not even about Jonah. He's not even the main character. Who's the main character? God is. God is literally mentioned 38 times throughout this tiny book that's only four chapters long. This is a story about God's love and God's grace. And I believe that this is a story about the grace of God desiring for us to be a part of the mission that God has for us. And this is a story of a God who has a great love that constantly calls people to himself multiple times. Let's get into it. Jonah chapter 1, hopefully you're there by now. We're going to read 16 verses, almost the entire first chapter, so buckle up, stay with me. Here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went to Joppa. Uh, down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose 
on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? Jonah answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this that you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because Jonah had told them. And so they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to try to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Uh, we just thank you for the opportunity to uh, worship you, first off, God, that you have provided this place for us. Uh, and I just pray right now as we dive into your word, God, as we dissect your word, God, I pray that you uh, would just speak clearly to us. God, help us walk differently out in the way that we came in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Anyone here, uh, and you could raise your hand if you want to, uh, actually enjoy running? Like, you're like, I love to run. If your hand is raised, I don't know if I believe you. So, <laughs> and let me tell you why. Uh, so, I used, I used to enjoy running, emphasis on the used to. Um, when I was in high school, I was in cross country, and I would wake up like at hours that high school students probably shouldn't wake up at, uh, and I would go for a run, like long six, seven, eight, you know, miles, sometimes more. Uh, and, and I was like in a shape and full of energy, uh, and I was young, obviously, and so it was just like, I enjoy doing this, right? Uh, but then years go by where you choose not to run, so then you try doing it again, and what happens? Everything hurts. It's hard to breathe. It is not enjoyable. It's extremely exhausting, right? And, and about a year ago, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, maybe I can enjoy this. Like, I can do a mile. I'm not, like, like literally dying right now. Um, and, and, but, it's, but then I stopped running because it's so hard to be consistent, and it's just exhausting, right? And so if you enjoy running, like, you know, praise God for you. But, uh, but it's so hard. It's, it's so exhausting. I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point in my life where I'm really going to actually enjoy it again. Maybe one day we'll see what God does, but I don't know. But look at this story, because I love the story of Jonah. The word of God, the word of the Lord, verse 1, came to Jonah. Like, we could just stop right there and camp out in that verse or just in that phrase for a while, because that's a powerful moment in itself, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Abitai, and told him, go and preach to Nineveh, right? So what did God tell Jonah to do? Go and preach at this specific city called Nineveh, Right? What did Jonah do instead? We just read the story. He ran to flee to Tarshish. Now, I'm not like a Bible scholar, but I, I tend to believe that Tarshish and Nineveh are entirely different cities, right? And if you study, like, historically, like, where they're located, it's literally the opposite direction. And so it's funny thinking about this because Jonah heard from God. He heard what God wanted him to do to go to Nineveh and preach there. And Jonah's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Right, And so much show, like he didn't just say no, he said no, God, and I'm going to go to another place, and I'm taking all my stuff with me, and I'm going to pay the fare to get there. Like I'm using my own resources to literally run away from what you're calling me to do, right? Jonah was a runner. And looking at his story, looking at everything that he was running from, and, and when you know the rest of the story, it just seems very exhausting. Think about this. Jonah ran from God. Jonah ran from his calling. 
He ended up in a storm. He ended up in the belly of a fish and then right back to God. Right? So it's like, bro, like that just seems like an exhausting lifestyle. When you think about all of the prophets in the Old Testament, it's crazy to think that Jonah was the only one to run from God. Have you guys ever had the I would have done it differently syndrome? Right? It's like you see something happen and you're like, why did, why did you do that? Like, I would have done this. And then, like, it's like that's not the right time for, like, advice, first off, but, like, just be there for your friend who messed up. Right? But we think, like, I would have done it differently. Right? And, and an easy illustration is this. It's like right now, uh, you know, we're watching the NBA playoffs, literally the greatest basketball players of all time. Right? And what are we doing? We're sitting on a couch watching a game. And then, you know, Steph Curry takes, like, a half-court shot and misses. You're like, bro, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. You should have, like, done a, you know, spin with the dribble the ball, go reverse layup. And we're like, bro, you have no room to critique that man's basketball play. He's literally the greatest shooter of all time, right? I know you think you could have done it differently and would have done it differently. But, see, like, like, we put ourselves, and honestly, what we do is, we, like, we make ourselves a hero of the story. Like, I would have done it differently. And maybe we look at a story like Jonah and we think, man, Jonah, like, how did you do that? Or why did you do that? You literally heard from God and you didn't listen. And maybe you think as you're reading this, I would have done it differently. I don't know, right? Probably not. Let me just say that, right? But, but also we put ourselves in these moments where we think we would have done it differently. Like you're like, man, like if I saw Jesus walking on water and I stepped out of the boat, I would not have sunk to the, you know, I would not have sunk down. I would have done it differently than Peter. I would not have denied Jesus three times, right? And we make ourselves a hero of the story, but the reality is we all would have done the same thing. How do we know this? Because we all do the same thing. That some moments in our lives that God speaks to us and he wants us to do something, we think, I don't know if I really want to do that, right? And we struggle with obedience towards God. I pray that we don't have the I would have done differently syndrome, right? So we give Jonah a hard time for not doing what God called him to do. But have you ever paused to think, like, why did Jonah run? One, why didn't he just stay there? Like, maybe he thought, like, if I run away from God, God will just leave me alone. I don't know. But why did he literally run away from the calling that God had for his life? Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Why didn't he want to do what God called him to do? He so badly didn't want to go that he paid his way to go the opposite direction, thinking that plan would work. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to people that were far from him there. And when you think about this, this is literally the mission of the church. Go and make disciples. Go and share Jesus with people that are far from Jesus. Go get people who are far from God close to God. And Jonah was like, not down. <laughs> I don't want to do this. We do the same thing. There's an author uh, and writer, Sharon Miller. She has this philosophy, this book uh, that she breaks down, and it's called uh, The Fallacy of Control. It's the thinking that we have control over something when in reality we don't, right? Let me explain it this way. Probably everybody in the room at some point of your life, you played the game Monopoly, right? Somebody? Some of y'all love Monopoly. Some of y'all hate it because it takes like eight hours, right? But what do we do in Monopoly? If we need eight spaces, we grab the dice, we blow into our hand, this is going to be an eight, right? And then we like even shake it even harder thinking like if I shake it hard enough, it's going to be an eight. And then you roll it, it's a seven and you're in jail, right? <laughs> it's the fallacy of control that we think we have control over the situation when we actually don't, right? I'm an Enneagram eight. If you don't know what that means, it means I like to be in control. So what does that mean? That when I'm not in control... I'm not like a huge Enneagram believer. Let me just pause and say that. I just, I took the test. That's what happened. All right, anyway. Um, when I'm not in control over something, I, I begin to get what? Anxious. Like, man. So if I'm on an airplane, what seat am I having? I'm going to fly the airplane. You may not want me to, but that's my choice, right? Like, I want to be in that seat because I want to see what's happening. I don't want to just see sideways. I want to see what's in front of me because that's just my personality and that's what I feel, right? So what do I do when I'm on an airplane? The fallacy of control I'm looking at the flight tracker every two to three minutes, just like updating that thing, like, where are we, right? Like, get me off this thing, right? I have like a love-hate relationship with flying, by the way. But here's why I say all this. You see, one of the things that I think we fear when it comes to practicing obedience towards God is that we distrust 
that God has our best interest in for us, that God is truly for us. And so when we talk about uh, walking in step with the plan that he has for our life, in essence, what we're doing is we're giving up control, and we don't want to do that. Because we have this fallacy, this thought that we are actually in control of our lives when it's God who's actually in control. It's interesting because for Jonah, when he said no to God and what God wanted him to do, he thought he was in control. God told me to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish instead. I'm going to get on this boat. I'm going to pay the fare. I'm in control with what I'm doing. When the entire time, if you know the story, who was in control the entire time? God was. God was like, okay, you want to get on that boat? Here's a storm. Okay, you're in the water, here's a fish, right? Like God is just in control of every single moment of that story. So why do we do that? Why do we have this fallacy that when we give up control to God, that, that we just kind of feel like God is not in our best interest for us? I think it's FOMO, right? It's a fear of missing out. We think this, that if I obey God, then I miss out on blank. If I obey God, I miss out on partying. If I obey God, I'll miss out and get to do what I want to do. If I obey God, then I'm not doing what all my friends around me are doing, right? We fear. But here's the thing. As believers of Jesus, which I pray that you are, as believers of Jesus, the thing that we should fear missing out on the most is walking in step, is not walking in step with God. That we should fear like, okay, if I believe in God, what I want to do then is walk in step with God. Right? So when we choose not to do the things that God is calling us to do, I believe one of the things that we're truly missing out on is walking in the love that God has for us. The God who relentlessly pursues a sinful people. And we're going to see that in Jonah. That God relentlessly pursues a sinful people and God relentlessly pursued Jonah even though he didn't do what God was wanting him to do. So here's the question we have for today. Is how can we walk in the love of God? Like how, how do we do that? What does that look like in a practical way? And, and we praise God for Jonah because he didn't do it. So we get to learn from his mistakes. Amen. Right. So how do we do that? Go back to verse 1. How do we walk in the love of God? Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Here's the first point I want to make for today. Write notes because then you'll remember better. First thing I want to say is this. Pay attention to God's word. How do we walk in the love of God? We pay attention to God's word. We pay attention to what God has to say. Uh, I'm not an English major by any means. I actually like failed English once in high school, so um, I apologize. But look at, look at the first phrase. The word of the Lord the word of the Lord, like the, the word that sticks out to me in that phrase is the word of, right? Because it's a word that shows possession. It's a word that shows ownership. It's a word that's showing this is where this is coming from, right? So the word of the Lord. So who does this word belong, belong to? It belongs to God. This is a word from God that God is giving to Jonah, right? It belongs to him. What does that mean? It means this. God brought this word to Jonah. This is a message that belongs to God, that's from God, that he's giving to Jonah. What was Jonah's job in that moment? To hear the word of God and then to apply it. What did Jonah do instead? He heard the word of God and then he adjusted it. He changed it and did something differently. There's a powerful moment in the New Testament where Jesus, we have the longest recorded teaching of Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you never read it, go read it. It's powerful. Right, And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this powerful phrase, and maybe you already know this, but he says this, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, applies them, is like the wise man who built his house on what? On rock. Storm came, wind blew, nothing happened. Whoever hears these words and doesn't do them, whoever hears these words and adjusts them, is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. Wind came, storm came. House blew away, right? Why am I saying all this? What we like to do in our culture is we take the word of God and we pick and choose what we want to apply. And what we're doing in that moment is we're creating a God of our own liking. We're creating a God that's not the one true God because we're taking his word and we're making it seem like it is ours to mess around with and ours to adjust. God's word is not our words to adjust, it's our words to apply. 
So Jesus says this. The Bible says this. Don't commit adultery. And you're like, okay, I can do that. Jesus takes it a step further and says, don't even look at a woman lustfully. You're like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Like, it's hard. Don't murder. Okay, I can do that. But I also want you to pray for your enemies. I don't want to, I mean, I'll pray for them. Pray they get what they deserve, right? Amen, right? It's like, <laughs> like we don't want to do the things that Jesus is calling us to do, right? We take what we like about the Bible and we take out what we don't like about the Bible, right? And then in essence, we're creating a God of our own liking. Jonah heard God's word, then he adjusted God's word to his liking because he was called to do something that he didn't want to do. So the tension in this story is not between Tarshish and Nineveh, the bad city, the city that Jonah went to instead, right? The tension in this story is Jonah and his response to God and what God was wanting him to do. And I said this earlier, that our response to what God is calling us to do affects our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. So what we do with God's word is so important. And some of you might be thinking this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, verse 1. And some of you might be thinking this, like, man, if the word of the Lord came to me like that, I would listen. I would have done it differently, right? Some of you are still in that, that syndrome, right? And I don't know how it came to him. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't get, we're not giving those details. Like, if it was like Morgan Freeman, like, hey, Jonah, do this, right? Like, I don't know what that, what that was like. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah, right? That, that's all we know. And some of us might think, if God did like a miracle moving moment like that, or maybe he moved the clouds, he wrote in the clouds, or he spoke from the clouds, I don't know, then I would listen. But can I share something with you today? This is a miracle in itself. God's word, right? The beautiful reality that we have possession of this, of what people had to do to get this into our language is beautiful. Go read church history, it's remarkable. To put this into the English language, to get this into our hands, into our possession. We have the word of the Lord. We just have to read it. We say this all the time here at BT. I've heard multiple pastors say this. But if we're struggling with God, if you like spoke to me the way you spoke to them, right, then I would listen. God, if you spoke to me audibly, I would listen. And we, we say this, if you want to hear God audibly, just read the Bible out loud. Pretty simple, right? Or audible version, I don't know. But what we do with God's word is so important, and we can't do much with it if we're not spending time in it. You know what the enemy tries to do? We have a, we have a very powerful enemy. I don't know if you know that. We have a more powerful God. Amen. But what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us to adjust God's word. Think back to the garden, right? The enemy, all crafty little serpent, snake. That's why I don't like snakes. Amen. And he goes to Eve, and he says... Did God really say? What was, what was the enemy doing? He's trying to get Eve to adjust God's word. The enemy did the same thing in the wilderness, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And what does he do? If you really are the son of God, trying to get Jesus to question his identity that God gave him, right? That's what the enemy wants us to do, to adjust God's word. Our job is to apply it. Pay attention to God's word. How do we walk in God's love? We pay attention. Number two, verse three. Remember, we're learning from Jonah's mistakes. Thank you, Jonah. Verse three, Jonah got up. So, so God told him this, get up and go to Nineveh. Preach against it. Jonah got up and what did he do? He flee to Tarshish. How do we walk in God's love? We obey God's will. We obey the plan that God has for our lives, Right? So Jonah heard the word of the Lord. He heard what God wanted him to do. And so the question that I now have is why did Jonah run? Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh so badly that he literally went the opposite direction like we already said a while ago? And my question is this, what's wrong with Nineveh? Let's talk about it. We're going to walk through some historical facts that we know of this area. We know that it was a great city. And their evil has come up before God. What kind of evil? Look at this. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. One of the most cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Known for burning cities, enemies completely to the ground. 
It was depicted as one of the most gory and bloody histories that we know of. Anybody who survived their demolition was then required to go into cruel and violent slavery. That's Nineveh. So when God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, what did Jonah think about? All those things. It's as if God told somebody today, I want you to go to ISIS and preach the gospel there right now. Right? So in Jonah's mind, he's thinking, God, these guys are terrible. Right? And, and he's right. But maybe he's thinking they don't deserve a warning of the coming judgment that they are about to receive because of how bad they are. What do we do when we know like something bad is about to happen? We give people warning, right? We've gone through so many storms like every other weekend. It's like super annoying by now. We're like, okay, God, we get it. Like storms, hail everywhere, right? Thunder, lightning, power's out for three days. But what is the news doing the entire time? They're warning us. They're warning us. Even when it's wrong, like, hey, super big storm, go buy all sandbags, doesn't even rain, you know, an ounce, right? But they're warning us. They're warning us, right? When something bad is about to happen, we are then warned, right? That's what's going on here. But from the world's eyes, from Jonah's eyes, from his perspective, these were a people that didn't deserve the warning announcement because of how bad they were. Yet this is the people that God wanted them to go to. They want, that God wanted Jonah to go to. So I believe there's an obvious element of why Jonah ran that he felt like the people of Nineveh didn't deserve to hear this message from God. That there is maybe an element of Jonah wrestling with the spirit of not caring about what happens to them because of what they've done. What are we talking about? We're talking about God's relentless love towards a sinful people. Right? Did Nineveh deserve Judgment? Yes. Right? Obviously. And according to Jonah and probably a lot of other people, they didn't deserve to be warned of that coming judgment. But here's the beauty of the grace of God and the love of God. Check this out. There would have been no reason for a message of warning of the coming judgment if there wasn't the possibility of saving did you catch that? There, there's no reason for God to send somebody of the coming judgment if there wasn't a possibility of saving. So why did God want to send Jonah? The possibility of saving. The possibility of them turning and repenting. The possibility of them experiencing and encountering God's love. Let's bring this home a little bit. Can I remind you of this, church? Every one of us, all of us, falls short of the glory of God. It does, it's not news that makes us feel good because we think we're awesome, right? We think we would have done it differently syndrome. But the reality is this. All of us fall short of the glory of God. None of us are deserving of this gospel message that God has given to us anyway. And Jonah struggled to understand the love and grace of God that God had for people that didn't look like him, that didn't think like him, that didn't vote like him, that didn't act like him, right, that were against him. So let me say this. If we struggle... To think that certain people aren't deserving of hearing the message of the gospel, of the grace of God, then we have some work to do with God. If we struggle to think that a certain people group, because they look differently, they act differently, they talk differently, they vote differently, they do all these different things. If we're thinking they don't deserve this message, then we have some work to do with God. And when we choose, point two, obey God's will, when we choose not to obey God's will, what we're then saying is they don't deserve to hear this gospel message that we already have. God called Jonah to a specific group of people that were far from him to let them know that it's not too late. Nobody is too far. Nobody is too far gone. So the question we have is do we care about the people that are around us who are spiritually running away from the call that God has for us? Jonah heard. He heard what God had to say. How do we know that? Because he literally went the opposite way. It's not like he wasn't like, oh, God, like, what did you say? Like, he knew exactly what God wanted him to do, right? The book of James warns us of this. Don't just be hearers of the word, but what? Be doers of the word, right? That's what we're called to do as believers of Jesus. So how do we walk in the love of God? We pay attention to God's word. We obey God's will. And number three, we look for God's work. As believers of Jesus, when we're walking in the love of God, we are then aware of the ways that God is working in and around us. 
Shameless plug, in a couple of weeks, we're starting a series called Experiencing God. This has been a church curriculum that's been around for like decades. And the whole theme of this series is look for how God is working and join him there. That if God is calling us to something, he's probably already, already working in that area, right? God's way ahead of us, right? So Jonah hears from God, runs from God, ends up on a boat, going the opposite direction. And what happened while they were on the boat? God was like, nah, bro, you think you can outrun me? You can't. You think you're in control? You're not, right? And God sends a storm. God's in control. I love this about God. We're talking about walking in the love of God and how we can experience the grace of God. At this moment, God could have been like, okay, Jonah, you don't want to go to Nineveh? I'm going to find somebody who does. That's not what God does, right? If you've read the book of Jonah, let me give you just like a preview of what's coming up. Jonah chapter 3, it's almost like a parallel of Jonah chapter 1, except for this time Jonah listens, right? And the beautiful thing is this, is that when God chases after Jonah, when he relentlessly pursues him, he, do, he doesn't then give Jonah like a different list of options. Like, okay, my bad, bro. You don't want to go to Nineveh? Uh, what about Rome? What about this other city, right? Like he, like he doesn't change the mission. He says, the word of the Lord, go read Jonah chapter 3, came to Jonah, and what was it? Go to Nineveh, a great city, their evils come before me, go preach against it, right? It's the same mission, right? That's what God wanted him to do. Jonah was running away from that. God sends a storm, a storm so fierce that the sailors were afraid of their lives. People who professionally live on water, on a boat, obviously were fearful of their lives, right? That's how bad this storm was. Literally, at this moment, because the storm was so great, they don't know that Jonah's on the boat at this time, is my guess, and they're just literally throwing up every name of God that they've ever heard. Not of Yahweh God, right? Every name of any other God that other people worship. They're like, do you have a God that you worship? Pray right now. Do you have a God that you worship? And nothing is working, right? And then they find Jonah on the boat. But here's my question as I read this story. I like to ask questions about what's happening. Helps me understand a little bit better. My question is, what did the sailors do? Like, they're probably, you know, they woke up that morning thinking, hey, today's going to be a good day. We're going to pack up this boat. We're going to sail to the other side. And we got some stuff to ship over and deliver. I don't know. And all of a sudden, this huge storm comes. And they realize, like, this is something different, right? And this is something that's bad. What did the sailors do that they had to experience a storm as well? It was Jonah who didn't go to Nineveh. It was Jonah who was practicing disobedience, right? It was Jonah who was running from God. Why did the, staler, the sailors get the storm too? Because the reality is this. Jonah's disobedience, his choosing of not to do what God was calling him to do, it didn't just affect him. It affected the people around him, right? Our disobedience of God doesn't just affect us. It affects the people around us. God placed you in a home, God placed you in a school, God placed you in a business, God placed you in a restaurant, God placed you in a workplace, and when we're choosing not to live out the identity that God has given us by our faith in him, it's not just affecting us, it's the people that are around you that don't know who Jesus is. They're affected as well. And here's the reality, is disobedience goes deep. Disobedience goes deep, and let me share what I mean by this. Think about what Jonah has gone through. Think about Jonah's plight at this moment. Jonah went down to Joppa instead of going to Nineveh so that he can go to Tarshish. Jonah went down to the bottom of a boat into a deep sleep. And if you know the story, Jonah went down into the depths of the sea when the sailors threw him out of the boat and Jonah went down into the belly of a fish. As we continue to practice disobedience towards God, what we are simply doing is continuing to dig a deep hole and going down. And disobedience goes deep. But here's the beautiful thing, God's not done yet. So why did God send a storm? To just eliminate the perception of options of Jonah's call that God had for his life. This is what God wanted him to do. As believers of Jesus, we should always be looking for how God is working. As believers of Jesus, we should always be looking for opportunities to show people Jesus. To point people to the God we worship. What were the sailors doing when the storm came before they realized there was a guy on, the, on their boat who was asleep? Is they were just asking anybody who worships any sort of God to throw up their God's name in the air. 
we can't give a sailors, the sailors a hard time. Because maybe we're thinking like, why didn't they just pray to, to the Lord God, right? They didn't know who he was. It was Jonah's job to tell him. What was Jonah doing? He was asleep. Let's bring it home, church. What are we called to do? We, as believers of Jesus, are called to represent and reflect Jesus. When we choose not to do that, we can't critique our culture for doing the things that they're doing when they don't know the God that we know. It is our job to tell them, right? We're like, man, this culture is just going crazy. They're doing so many bad things. They're doing, why are they making these decisions? Why are they making these laws? Maybe they don't know the God that we know. And it's our job to tell them, right? What was Jonah doing? He was asleep on the boat ignoring what was going on. When we are practicing disobedience and a disobedience goes deep, it then causes us to fall into a spiritual slumber, a spiritual sleep of not seeing how God is working around us and not joining the work that God is doing. As believers of Jesus, we should always be looking for opportunities to show people Jesus. When we choose not to pay attention to God's word, when we choose not to obey God's will, when we choose not to look for the ways God is looking, then it causes us to go into a spiritual slumber. So how do we walk in God's love? Pay attention to God's word. Obey God's will. Look for the ways God is working. And lastly, number four is this. Give God your worship. Think about this. Look what happens to sailors. The sailors are, these guys are like, the MVPs are here. When they heard what was happening and who was causing it, the storm, who was causing it? Jonah, right? They said, what do we do? Jonah said, throw me out. Interesting plan, right? What did the sailors do instead? They tried rowing harder to get to dry land. It wasn't working. Why? They didn't want to throw Jonah off the boat. It's like, these guys are the nicest people ever, right? I want to be friends with them. But then when they realized, like, okay, we have to do this, what did they do, verse 14? They called out to the Lord, the Lord God. Please, Lord, don't let us perish for what we're about to do. Right, they're already like offering up that to God. They throw Jonah over. The storm stops. And then look what happens. Verse 16. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Earlier in the story, they were afraid for their lives because the storm was so crazy. And then they experienced the God who controls the storm, and now they're practicing fear of the Lord. Right now they're practicing commitment to the Lord God. Now they're giving God their worship. Here's the beautiful thing about this story is that already Jonah was deciding, I, God, like I know you're calling me to this. I know you want me to do this. I'm going to run away. And in Jonah's running away, God used him anyway. The sailors didn't know who God was. And as Jonah was running, they're like, all right, I'm going to show you who I am. Jonah, I'm going to use you anyway. I love the way that God works. So the sailors give God their worship. And here's the thing. A lot of times when we choose to give God our worship, it's normally in moments when things are going good. It's like, man, life is good. I'm going to worship God right now. But then when, we, when, when the storm comes, when the storms of life, when the difficulties of the world hit us, what do we do? We start complaining. God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? We start doubting, we start complaining, we start questioning, like, God, why would you do this, this, and this? Let me say this, church. Circumstantial worship, worship based on what's happening around us, circumstantial worship is not sustainable. Meaning when we only worship God when life is good, that's not sustainable when the storm comes. We worship God despite what's happening around us, right? Disobedience goes deep, but let me also say this, obedience goes deep as well. And let me show you what I mean. Y'all remember the Apostle Paul, greatest missionary of all time, planted like all these churches and did crazy stuff. The Apostle Paul, in one moment of his journey of church planting in the book of Acts chapter 16, one of my favorite stories, is as they were in this city called Philippi, sharing the gospel, the culture and local authorities didn't like what he was doing. Didn't like what they were doing. So what did they do? They beat him up and they threw him in prison and locked him up. In Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25, we read the story that around midnight, they're awake at this moment, 
what are they doing? They start worshiping God. They're singing hymns to God. What are they doing? They're giving God their worship. And there's a beautiful phrase in that passage, Acts chapter 16, it says this, and the prisoners heard them. I don't know if it was a joyful noise that they were singing, like if they were singing on key or not, but they, the prisoners were listening to them, right? And just like we talked about that Jonah's disobedience didn't just affect him, it affected the people on the boat as well because they experienced the storm too. When Paul and Silas were worshiping in prison, when they were choosing to give God their worship, when they were choosing to worship not based on the circumstances around us, around them, because I would assume they didn't want to be in prison at that moment, but they were worshiping God anyway. There's a powerful moment in Acts chapter 16 that says this, that an earthquake happened and the foundations were shook. And everybody's bonds in that prison came loose, right? Here's why this is awesome. The prisoners weren't worshiping God. Who was worshiping God? Paul and Silas were. But their obedience and worship of God didn't just affect them. It affected the people around them. When we choose to pay attention to God's word, to start obeying God's will, to start looking for the ways that God is working, to start giving God our worship no matter what's happening around us, it's not just going to affect us. Our relationship with God is going to grow deep, but it's also going to affect the people around us because when the storm comes, when things start happening in your life and it doesn't really make any sense, but your response to those things is giving God your worship anyway and your coworker is like, why are you worshiping when you're walking through a difficult thing that doesn't make any sense? You say, well, this is my God who I worship, right? It completely changes everything when we give God our worship, when we walk in the love that God has for us. But here's the thing, church. We cannot walk in the love of God until we come to know the love of God. We can't walk in God's love until we come to know God's love. The sailors in that moment, they found out that it was Jonah causing a storm, and they went to Jonah for a solution. The solution, throw Jonah in the water. They were like, okay, this sounds crazy, but let's do it anyway, whatever. The reality is this. All of us are affected by the chaos and storm that is sin. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Why do we give God our worship? Because Jesus is a better Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to do it. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. When Jonah didn't want to do it, Jesus did it. That Jesus is the one who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. That Jesus is the one that when he was sleeping on the boat, the solution wasn't to throw him out but to keep him in because he's the one in control of the storm, right? That Jesus willingly went to a sinful people, us, to offer us the love and grace of God. And Jesus took on the chaos of sin and won. That Jesus went to the cross. You see, you think about the reality is this. Jonah, I think one of the reasons that maybe he didn't want to go to Nineveh, knowing how bad this place was and the way they treated people, Jonah thought in this moment that if he would have gone to Nineveh, it meant the possibility of death. The possibility. What did Jesus came to do? The mission of Jesus was not the possibility of death, but the actuality of death. That he came to die, to go onto a cross, to give his life, not just in our place, but because we literally couldn't do it. Because our sacrifice is not good enough. Because a perfect sacrifice was required, and that's what Jesus did. But what what have we been celebrating the past several weeks is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Is that the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus, the victory over sin and death, and our faith in him is that we can now have life. If you ever struggle, if you're struggling now with how much God loves you, remind yourself of the cross of Christ. For God so loved the world, you're included in that statement that he gave his only son so that anybody who would believe would have everlasting life. 
So church, maybe you're here today, you walked in, I don't know how you walked in, I don't know your story, I don't know what you're struggling with. Maybe you're struggling with what God's calling you to do, like you really don't want to step into that. I know what that means, I know what that feels. I love sharing this story because it's part of my story is this, is that growing up in South Texas, growing up in the valley, I went to Edinburgh North High School, win, lose, or tie, cougar till I die, amen. I don't know if I truly believe that, but we used to say those, that, that phrase. But this is my goal, every teenager's goal is to what? Get out of the valley. Like, God, get me out of this place. Like, I don't want to live here, right? God sent me to Camp Zephyr, Alice, Texas. I would visit Texas. I'm like, this is kind of north, but not north enough, right? Like, this is cool, I guess. And then around that time in 2015, Pastor Chris said, hey, how about you come be the high school pastor of BT? And I was like, I really don't want to do that. Because I didn't want to come back to the valley. I didn't want to come back because I was literally afraid of sharing Jesus with the people that I grew up with. It's like, God, get me out of here. Like, I want to go do something different. But God said, hey, I want you to come here. There's moments that we struggle to obey the word of God, to obey the will of God. But when we do it, we're walking in the love of God. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But I pray that today you would take a simple next step towards what that is. That next step might be, hey, brother, sister, we're going to have people in the front praying for us. Like, I feel like God's calling me to this. And to start sharing and opening up to what God's calling you to do. But the reality is, for somebody in this room today, maybe your next step is to experience the love of God for the first time, to say yes to Jesus for the first time, that you've been running away from him, and you know that God has been passionately pursuing you for such a long time where you've felt the nudge of God, but you have yet to give your life over to God. Then my prayer is that today you would do that. And so what we're going to do is offer that time right now. I'm going to pray. I want to ask everyone to simply bow your heads and close your eyes. And if anybody in this room today would want to give their life over to Jesus, just knowing the work that Jesus did for us. And if you want to say yes to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm just going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. And after the prayer, I just want you to have a moment with God where I'm going to ask everyone to continue to keep their heads and down and eyes closed. But the prayer is this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose from the grave. And Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life. I want to trust you, Jesus. I want to follow you. You are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.